follow as I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of God. Well, it is a joy to be here today. And when I heard him say that I've known some members from this church from the 70s and started talking about everything that was invented in the 70s, he could have just added, and he's an old geezer. He could have said, that guy, Steve, is old. I'm feeling, feeling a little bit older after that introduction, but I've known uh, Kim and Ted Williams since the 1970s when I went to college at WVU, and they did as well. We attended the same church there. I've been aware of this church from the very beginning. The founding pastor here left our church to come here in 1989, and so I'm grateful for this church. Could not think more highly of your pastors, Josh and Chris, and particularly Matthew who has been a pillar to this church over the years and cared for you and cares for you. We meet about every quarter of regional pastors. We meet together in his love for this church and his faithfulness. And I know you know his faithful labor for this church is just exemplary. You, you, you are blessed with fine pastors and you are blessed with a, a senior pastor who loves you and labors on your behalf. I know you know that and it is a joy to be able to serve him. I think Chris was originally scheduled to preach here, and then he, he ended up going to Bolivia. Is that correct, I think? And so Matthew asked if I would come and preach for him and to know that it gives him time off with his family and, and not to come back to preach. And Josh, jumping in to preach after working all week, it is a joy to do that. But it's a joy to be here as well. It is a joy to hear different accents and seeing people from such diverse backgrounds. I think we get used to this because this is the way heaven's going to be, Right. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be together to hear the accent of, I believe it's Kevin who led worship this morning, to hear Josh and his wife, Karen's accents, and I'm just going, this, this is the way it's supposed to be. So it's a joy being here. Also, I want to thank you for welcoming Gabe and Stephanie here. We, we are saddened to lose them from our church, Gabe and Stephanie Bowman and their family. We are gladdened that they found a church family here. So we are thrilled. Thank you so much for how you have welcomed them in. Last but not least, I'm excited to preach this particular passage to you because I think this passage is, it reflects, I think if the Lord were here today, he would say the same thing about this church that Paul said to the Thessalonians. So why don't we pray, and I'm going to ask just a short prayer to ask God to help me, and then we're going to jump in and look at this passage. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Lord, help me to speak in a way that will glorify you, that will bring forth your word of truth. That will encourage each believer here and ask it in your son's name, who is the word of life. Amen. We're looking at three things. That, well, here's the question is why do some hearing God's word not change at all and not pay a bit of attention? And why do others, when hearing God's word, why is there great change in their life? Why do we see transformation in the lives of some? Some sit and hear this, can hear the same message or hear the same sermon preached or read the same passage of scripture. 
and nothing happens. And others, life is changed. We're going to look at that question here today, why that takes place. We're going to look at three things. Number one, we're really three parts of this sermon. First, we'll look at the disruptive word of God because it is always disruptive. Number two, we're going to look at the fruitful word of God. And then lastly, we're going to look at the divine word of life. And the point's going to be this. The Bible message transforms all who receive it for what it really is, the word of God to us. The Bible message transforms any and all who receive it for what it actually is, the word of God. So let's look at the disruptive word. When we read 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and really this section we're looking at today is kind of a a broader exposition of chapter 1, verse 6. And Paul wrote in there that we... He wrote in there, he said, you received the word in much affliction. Much affliction, much trouble, many trials. We know from Acts 17 that Paul came to Thessalonica on a second missionary journey. And we know that trouble followed Paul wherever he preached. Wherever the word of God came, when it was going forth, it spread with power, but also spread with much affliction. Paul just found trouble wherever he went and wherever he preached the word of God. He'd been thrown in jails. He'd been thrown out of towns. He'd even been stoned and left for dead by this time. And in the city he was at before Philippi, Paul and Silas preached gospel there. You know, Lydia was along the river. When they went along the river where there's a place of prayer, the Lord had said, moved on her heart. You get the sense it was just in a quiet way as Paul shared the gospel. And the Lord moved upon her heart. She became a believer but while Paul was there, Paul and Saul were there, they also cast a demon out of a servant girl who, was, who, who could tell fortunes, which is a big deal. Everybody wants to hear the future. She could tell fortunes. She made a lot of money for her owners. And because of that, when they cast a demon out of her, obviously things changed. People lost their ability. These men lost their ability to uh, have a profit through her. So they became angry with, with Paul and Silas. They went to the leaders in their city. They had them thrown in jail and their stock. They were put in the innermost innermost part of the jail and their stocks were fastened. Their feet were fashioned with stocks. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that they they had suffered and been treated shamefully. And they had been. They'd been treated in a very bad way. But as they were in jail, and you know this story, as they were in jail, we know from the book of Acts, in the middle of the night, what were they doing? They were singing hymns. Can't imagine that. But they were singing hymns in the middle of the night. And God miraculously delivered them through an earthquake that not only opened the, the door of the jail, but also knocked the stocks off all of their feet. Miraculous deliverance. The jailer thought everyone had left. Of course, it's going to be a life for a life. They're going to kill him if his, if his prisoners get away. But Paul cries out and says, we're not, we've not left. We're all still here. And that jailer didn't kill himself, and Paul preached the gospel, and that jailer and his family were saved, and they were all baptized, it says, that very night. Amazing. Now, when Paul and Silas come to Thessalonica, he goes to the synagogue, which he normally did. He went for th- it says he went for three Sabbaths. You know this. You've studied this for a few weeks already. He, studied for th- he, he reasoned from three, sa- for three Sabbaths. He reasoned from the scriptures concerning the gospel, proving Jesus was the Christ and that it was necessary for him to suffer and rise from the dead. And the results of that, we read that some Jews believe, a few of the Jewish people believed, Many, many of the Greeks 
of the devout Greeks believed, many, so it's primarily a Gentile church now, and also this interesting statement, not a few of the leading women, not just a couple, there was a number of the rulers of that area, the authorities of that area, whose wives believed the gospel. And what followed? And what happened? Much conflict. Much affliction. The Jews were jealous that Paul was gathering this crowd around him. It was jealousy that caused them to gather wicked men. Isn't that interesting? They gathered wicked men, rabble-rousers, to come and cause trouble and set the city in uproar. They attacked the house where Paul and Silas were staying, in Jason's house. When they could not find them, they grabbed Jason and the people and people with him before the authorities, and they say this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. May it be said of us, huh? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The word of God brings turmoil. The word of God is disruptive. So Paul and Silas, when they get out, they send them to Berea, where they found another synagogue. They preached the word of God there. And believe it or not, the Jewish troublers follow them to Berea and start causing problems there. When the word of God comes into a fallen, broken world, it is disruptive. There is affliction. Can there be any other way? When God's word comes, where people hate God, where people hate his word and are alienated from him. Listen to some of these words from Jesus. Jesus said these, and you know these words. A lot of this today is a reminder for us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Peter says, don't, don't, don't be surprised when fire trials come to you. Don't be surprised. That's what's going to happen. Jesus says, if they hated you, if they hated me, they will hate you. It was true in Jesus' day. It was true in Paul's day. It is true in our day. There is affliction. There is trouble wherever God's word is proclaimed. In John 3.16, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, that they should not perish. But they, whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life, right? But a couple of verses later, he says this. But the, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but what? Men love darkness rather than light. Why? For their deeds were evil. Disruption. It happens wherever God's word goes forth. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 2. He said, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We're talking about today. Why do some respond? Why do some? Why are some's lives changed, and why are others hardened and cause problems? Paul says, "Well, we're the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To the one, we're the fragrance from death to death; to the other, a fragrance from life to life." And Jesus says, "These things do not mix." And Paul wrote in Timothy, "Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus." will be persecuted. There will be trouble. There will be trials. There will be problems. We wish it weren't that way, but it will be that way as long as we live in this world. We don't go looking for it. We're not looking for it because of our lives don't measure up. We're not trying to say that kind of problem. See, that can happen too. We bring things upon ourselves. 
But know this, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, there's going to be problems in this fallen world. And sometimes the forces seem overwhelming. I think this is important for us in our day and age. We're in this country and it seems like things are going the wrong way in some ways, doesn't it? We feel, we feel, the, we feel the currents, don't we? We feel that in our lives. We feel this undercurrent that Christianity is not, it's not esteemed as it once was. It's more challenging to live as a believer on the job, at our work, in our families. It's more of a challenge. And sometimes the forces seem overwhelming. In this situation, I'm sure the husbands of these wives who are believing this new way, the way, I'm sure they weren't very happy that their wives are being carried off or carried away by this new teaching. Not just a few of them. A number of authorities Powerful authorities and the believers seem so powerless. But we have the encouragement also from the book of John that light has shined into the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. And that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing darkness. You're seeing troubles and trials. So the the word of God brings trouble. The word of God brings disruption. But the word of God also bears fruit wherever it's proclaimed. God's word will not return void, as Isaiah says. It will not. It will accomplish the purpose for which God sent us. So we read in 1.6, the whole verse says, And you became imitators of us, you Thessalonian believers became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, but also with joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the other side here. Why do some grow and others don't? Because there's also another side when the word goes forth. Not only does it disrupt the world around us, it also in a very good way disrupts the lives of those whom God saves. Thessalonica was a city that worshipped many gods. I'm sure you all stayed this in the first, first week. They had many gods, Aphrodite, Zeus, uh, a couple of other gods. They had a local god who was a martyr god. They, there was that Caesar was, a, was considered divine and worshipped as well. And these people hear of the one true God, Jesus Christ. And imagine one day they're serving idols or involved, involved in idolatry. Maybe this is your life. You are after other things and the word of God comes and things change. Priorities change. Desires change. My father-in-law uh, was a self-made man. He grew up in Southern Virginia. His father was ran moonshine. He, this is true. Why do pastors have to say that? This is true. Of course it's true. It's true. I'm not trying to hype it. His father spent time in jail. He had to leave school and grade school to help provide for his family. He worked in a grocery store, grew up, got, uh, was in the military, got his GED, didn't finish high school, got his GED, worked for Kroger's for a number of years, got, grew up to be a manager in the stores, always wanted to start his own store, Started IGA, another great value. Started IGA store in this little town that people said, you cannot, you won't make it there. Franklin, don't go there. You won't make it. It's too small. He starts a grocery store in our town. The store is still going strong by his son. He started a couple, he was involved in a couple other stores as well. Became a self-made man, was not a believer, did not attend church. And in his late, in, in his 70s, a man whom he sold the store to was, was killed, fell off the roof of the store one morning. He was a partner with, his, with, with my father-in-law's son, with my brother-in-law. They were partners. My father-in-law had sold it to them. 
The man fell off the roof one day, climbing up a ladder in a frosty morning, and was killed. And my father-in-law, as I talked with him, said, I, I don't understand why it was him and not me. And I said, I don't understand that either. But I would want to know if it was you, that you would know that you have eternal life. Do you know that? And he says, no, I don't. And I said, well, would you be willing to sit and read and study together? And I took him through, as long as you know, the Alpha Course. I just gave him the book, said, you read, then we'll talk. You read, then we'll talk. So we did that. Gabe's heard this story before. We, we, he would read, and this is a self-made man, uh, rarely went to church, hardly ever, even after he became a pastor, came once or twice a year. And he would begin reading this little book on the Alpha Course, which had the Word of God in it. And then we discuss it. And then we talk, and he said, I don't understand this, this issue of getting something for free. I don't understand grace. He always, you work for everything, right? We went back and forth with that for a while. <clears throat> and I'd say, what do you think? And we'd only meet maybe every three weeks or something. He said, well, I don't have it. I just, I just don't have it. And he said, and I got questions. Why, why do you have to get up and go to church on Sunday mornings? I mean, it's a day off. Why in the mornings? Why do you have to? I don't get that. He had questions. Well, it went on like this for several months. And then we didn't meet for a little bit. But that fall, we taught the new members class in our church. because We had a number of visitors. And he began attending church. And at the end of that time, we we asked, who would like to join church? We'll give you some cards. You want to join church? And we'll have interviews with you. We'll talk with you. And you, you can be a member. Well, he signed that card and said, I want to become a member. Now, that put me in a real bind didn't it because the last thing I knew he wasn't a Christian so I said well I said Art that's his name I said we need to have lunch and talk he said okay so he sat down and we had lunch and I said Art you know last that I talked to you you weren't a believer you said you didn't understand and uh, you got to be a Christian to be a, a member of a church you can't just join and he said well he said well I've I, I become a Christian so I said tell me about it and he said, I don't know exactly when it was, but, my heart, but, but I've been changed. He didn't say my heart's been changed. He didn't know enough to say that. He just said things have changed. I said, well, tell me what's changed. He said, well, he said, you, you remember that guy that I told you I didn't like? It was a Christian man that had done him wrong. He said, you remember that? I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I didn't want to talk to him. I said, yeah. He said, well, I went and visited him in the hospital. My heart, my God changed my heart towards him. And I went and visited him. And I don't, I don't dislike him anymore I care for him he said you remember that time I told you I didn't like to get up to go to church on Sundays and I didn't understand I wanted to watch football and wanted to you know sleep in he said yeah he said well I want to go now I want to go chip now and I want to hear the preaching of God's word I thought that, that's pretty good evidence I said when did happen he said I don't know when but it's changed it's all changed and it changed his life The Word of God, through the power of the Spirit, changes lives. In these people's lives, they were once idolaters, but they're not idolaters. They are are no longer idolaters. They are serving the living God. And it's disruptive around them, but also in their lives. Paul, soon after this, had to leave. We know this, right? He had to leave. He had to go away. He was in Berea. Then he went on. He's writing from Corinth. But he wanted to know, 
He'd heard about this faith. He heard these people are doing well, but he wanted to find out for himself, how is this church doing? There was so much trial. There was so much trouble. There was so much affliction. Are they standing firm? So you read later on, he sends Timothy back to find out. And Timothy brings the word and says, they are standing firm in the preaching that we gave them. Like the churches, it says in Judea, if you read this, it says like the churches in Judea. Why did it point to them? Because that was kind of the... That was, that was the first church that stood firm amidst a lot of persecution. So Paul points back to them. In the same way they suffered. In other words, the DNA that was in the church in Judea is also in them. The spiritual DNA is here as well. How do you know? Because they stood firm in affliction. The same way. Fruit was being born. Whereas some hate the word of God, in others, the fruit is being born. They're standing firm. The suffering is real, but they're not falling away. And they're changing and they're growing. Now, here's the question. What made the difference? Why is it that some change and bear fruit and others don't? And the ones that change and grow even do so in the midst of turmoil. But I'm going to give you two reasons. One is within and horizontal, okay? It deals with us, and the other is without, and it's vertical. Here's the two reasons. They bore fruit because when they received Paul's word, they received it not as his word, but as the very, as the very words of God. That's what makes a difference. And I'm going to hold this book up because we have this exact letter. We have this letter, right? We'll talk about this more in a minute. We have this letter right here. They receive the words of Paul, not as the words of man, but as the very words of God. And that makes all the difference. And we know when that happened, it is an act of God, right? How many of you, how many of you sat in church for years and it just went, it went about this far and that's all it went, right? And then someday you hear that word. And the light turns on. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Believes, right? He said to them, the word of God is at work in you believers. They believe that this is the word of God. It's an issue of faith. They receive Paul's words in faith. And we know this is a gift of God, right? God has to open our hearts. But they believe this is the word of God. Some people, the Jews, heard it. They were jealous. They hear it. And they say, this is the very word of God. That's the line of demarcation, folks. And whether you're here this morning, you believe or you believe that. And if you're not, I proclaim to you, this is the very words of God. And when you believe that, life will change progressively for the rest of your life. They were born again from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the means of grace he uses, right? The proclaimed word comes into our minds with the Holy Spirit, causes us to be born again from above. What must I do, Nicodemus said, to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said what? You must be what? Born again. How can I be born again? How can I go back into the womb? I mean, he, he wasn't confused by what, Nick, what Jesus was saying. How can I go back into the womb and be born again? And Jesus said, Flesh gives birth to flesh, and what? Spirit gives birth, birth to spirit. That's what took place 
in Thessalonica among these believers. The word of God went out. The spirit of God used it. He turned, we say he turned the light on or he regenerated them. He opened their hearts and they knew the true God, the one true God of the universe. And when that life is birthed in a person's life, it begins to grow and the powers of hell will not overcome it even in the midst of much affliction and many trials. See, the evidence of salvation, one of the evidences of salvation is not prosperity or health or wealth. Oh, you, you, if you're a Christian, you're going to prosper everywhere. The scriptures don't say that. Jesus said, if they hated me, they hated you. In this world, you will have trials. So it's not prosperity. It's not approval from those around you. It's not approval from the world. It's standing firm on the truth in spite of trials. It's the word of God that goes into the good soil, not the rocky soil that's shallow, that when the heat comes down, it burns up and goes. Not the quick, oh, overwhelming emotional response. It's the word of God planted deep in the heart. And the trials and the, and the challenges prove this is the word of God. It's true. And it has changed our lives. Now, listen, I know many of us here, and I just even heard through the prayers today, we go through challenges and trials. We wonder, God, is it real? Listen, the fact that you're here, that you're standing upon God's truth is evidence that God has begun the good work in you. I'm not saying everybody's experiencing it. We all experience it different ways, right? We experience it different ways. But perseverance, it's not the lack of challenge. It's not, it's not the lack of problems in your world that prove that you're a Christian. It's standing firm upon the word of God in the midst of challenges. And that's what they were doing. A second reason this this word bore fruit in their lives is a vertical reason. Is because of this. It's because in the end, and you're going to see Paul talk a lot here about the Jews. He says some very harsh things about them. Look at that in just a second. But here's the reality. In the end, no one can stand against God's sovereign plan to save his people. No one can hinder it. Goes into Thessalonica. There's all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of challenges. But you know what? Though they seek to hinder God's plan, nothing on earth can hinder God's plan to bring salvation to his people. Nothing. So it doesn't matter if we're in the majority or the minority. Let me tell you, if we're with God, we're in the minority. We're in the majority, right? It can be a 10,000 to one, but if we're with God, we're on the right side. Nothing can hinder God's plan to save his people. There were so many enemies, so the Jews riled up everyone. And Paul speaks vigorously, and you almost shrink back a little bit when you see what Paul says in these verses about the Jews who are going to fill up, fill up their, their, their rebellion against God and the wrath of God has come upon them. You go, oh my, is Paul anti-Semitic? Does he hate Jewish people? Does Paul himself is a Jew. And we know Romans 9 through 11 that Paul says he, desired to be, he would rather be a curse that they might be saved. But what he is totally against are those who intentionally seek to hinder the life-saving message of the gospel. Most of the time from very self-centered, selfish reasons. Jealousy. Loss of profit. Making ability in Philippi. And Paul says, how can people stand against the preaching of the gospel, which is the only way for eternal life for all who believe? He can't get that. He doesn't understand that. And when he speaks these words, he's not bringing them up on his own. You know that. He's quoting others. He's speaking what has been spoken before. Listen to what Stephen said when he was being stoned. He said, which of the prophets, to the Jewish rulers, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. 
whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Thus you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. And then he said, Fill up then the measure of your fathers. So Paul is not anti-Semitic. That's sin. That's wrong. But he is against any and all who would stand against the gospel going forth and being proclaimed. They're being very harmful to Paul being able to share the gospel. Another place he also speaks against the Gentiles, us, who suppress the truth by our ungodliness and unrighteousness in Romans 1. So it's anyone who would hinder the gospel. But here's the reality. Though it might be hindered, it can never be, the gospel can never be stopped. As you have loved ones, you say, I desire they be saved. You pray, God, bring forth your word of truth into my loved one. Bring forth your word of truth into this area. And in the future, as we might experience more opposition, it seems, in our country, let us not forget the fact nothing can hinder the word of God, the creative word of God going forth. That should embolden us, shouldn't it? Because there are those we think, I think they'd be more receptive. And then there's those we think, they would never listen. We don't know. We don't know. I would have said at one time, my father-in-law would never listen. He was a self-made man. He had what many of us desire. And then God opened his heart because nothing can hinder the work of God. Isn't it amazing in Philippi, we're going to go back to that. God used Paul getting thrown in prison to save a Philippian jailer and his family. How am I going to save this guy? I know what. We'll get him thrown in prison. And then I'll have an earthquake happen. And then they'll share the gospel. And that man and his whole family are baptized the very night. Listen, nothing hinders the word of God. So the word is disruptive. But the word bears fruit wherever it's received as the very word of God. And it will in your life. And nothing can hinder it. Because God is sovereign. And his sovereign plan will unfold according to his will last the divine word of life we have the word of God inspired and recorded for us in this book it's God's very word to us did you see he reasoned from the scriptures when you read in second Corinthians you see that Paul had had some later on in life and perhaps well before this he had had some amazing visions God gave him the gospel through revelation he he saw things you and I will never see but when it came to reasoning When it came to sharing the gospel, he reasoned from the scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament for him, right? But we know later on Peter calls Paul's writing scriptures. We know they quote the book of Luke. Paul does another area, ask scripture. We have God's book for us. We say, oh, I wish I'd have been there. Well, we have his word to us. And that's what I want to speak about briefly, lastly, just to confirm to you all, because you know this, you know these, but this is to encourage you. If you're dry, you know, as as Josh said, if you're dry, you say, man, this has been, the scripture has been drier for me. And listen, I know how it is, and I I do know how it is. If you're going through some suffering or some challenging times, and you say, Lord, is it true? Speak to me, O God. I need your word. I know that. I understand that personally. I really do. Let me encourage you with some scriptures, familiar scriptures. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. Do you hear that? All scripture is breathed out by God. 
Didn't receive it as Paul's words, the words of men, but as the words of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture. Listen, this is God breathed. Man wrote it, has his characteristics, just the way God superintended them to be and to write. He preserved it. You can have a long course on other reasons you know this is true, but it is self-authenticating. This is the word of God. And we know from Hebrews 4.11, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, you come before this is the word of God, it will search your heart. It will carve out those things that are not pleasing to God. Nothing can do it like the word of God because nothing is the very word of God. And Paul wrote in Colossians, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. And that was written 2,000 years ago and it is still true today. Wherever the word of God is preached, you say, I don't know in my, in, my, in my workplace and in my school. Listen, you share God's word as God gives opportunity. To some, it will be the fragrance of life. Yes, to some, it will bring the fragrance of death, but it will bear fruit. Why? Because through God's word, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And God uses this, the primary means to work in us both to will and to work, to give us the will, to give us the want to, and to work for his good pleasure, as Philippians 2 says, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you. It's God. Listen, why has this changed my life? Because this word is living and active, and it's God himself by his spirit that works in us through his word. When I read this, I come up, God, this is your word. It's not a word of man. Speak to my heart. It's not always dramatic, especially early in the mornings, Monday mornings, not always dramatic, but this word shapes us, folks. God speaks to us. And as we read and study and meditate and hear the preaching, he shapes us, informs us. This is his, the primary means of grace by his spirit to make us into the people and Christ-like that we want to be. Let me give you a couple other scriptures before we close. You know these. These are very familiar, but just to encourage us. Psalm 1. Now listen to these words. Blessed is the man or the woman. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I think if you said today, it says, blessed is the man or woman who doesn't take the counsel of those of social media. All right, I think you'd say, blessed is the man who walks not on the council of the Lord, stands the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scholars. There's a progressiveness there. You notice that. But his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What will happen when we do that? He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. There it is again. That yields its fruit in seasons. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That doesn't mean immediately all the time. I don't believe we can say that because we see it all throughout Scripture. But overall, over time, in all that he does, he prospers to the Lord. 
And then he says, the wicked are not, cho- are not so, but are like shafts that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Why? For the Lord, now notice this, he's talking about the word of God, but then he goes to the last verse and says, why will the righteous stand and the wicked won't? Here's why. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And that doesn't mean he just observes. To know means he knows intimately. He is involved. The Lord is involved in the way of the righteous who meditate on his word, who receive this as his word. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you, are, if you are dry regarding the word, I'll give you a, this is not a, this is not a legalistic thing, but I'll give you a to-do. If you say, man, that, right now I'm, a little, I'm struggling, so I'm a little dry. It's summer and I'm involved in other things or I've had something happen that's just a little bit dry. I'll give you something that will take a little bit of time, but you can break it up into small sections. If you want to be encouraged afresh by the word of God, go to Psalm 119 and you immediately go, ugh, that's the longest chapter in the Bible. Yes, it is. Okay, but break it down. And every morning during your devotions, and it doesn't matter if you're going to another area of devotions as well, read a small section or two of Psalm 119 and slowly work your way through it. A small section, only be four or five, six verses. And see what the psalmist says about God's word. And it will so encourage your heart. Again, don't take it all in one lump. It's too much. But take it a little by little. And God's word will speak to your heart. It will search your heart will encourage your heart all about this book right here. And then say, God, give me fresh hunger and love for your word. Again, I understand, and I'm not just, trust me, I understand the challenging times, the busy times, the discouraging times that come. And what happens is it pulls us from this, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting how that works? It draws us from this. Listen, this is the word of life. And it's the word of life because it points us to the living word, Jesus Christ, who's our Savior and Lord. Now, we'll close with the last verses from Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Listen to some of the things that the word of God does for us. Again, this is familiar to you, but I just want to remind us before we close. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. How many of you need revived? Yeah, okay, good. Preaching the right crowd. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. How many of us need wisdom? There you go. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing or bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. That's true, isn't it? Isn't that a true statement? The fear of the Lord, there's a, there's a cleanness about it. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. The prayer this morning, Lord, lead us not to temptation. Keep us from sin. By them your servant is warned. And then in keeping them, there is great reward. Great reward. Why, when the word came to Thessalonica, did it bear fruit? Because this letter that was preserved for us was received not as the words of man, but as the very words of God. Listen, I want to commend you as a church that you receive God's word not as the word of man, but as the very words of God. 
as Matthew preaches, as Josh preaches, as Chris preaches, as a counsel, not infallibly, right? We know that. But as they do, you hear the very word of God. And I think God would say to you, much fruit has been born because you stand strong during seasons of trials and affliction and trouble. And the word of God has borne fruit and is bearing fruit. And may it bear abundant fruit in and through this church. Today, this week, the coming year, and for the year and decades to come until the Lord returns. The living word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks so much.